if we're all, if we're honest, we all think awful things and often say terrible things. But how can we stay in relationship with each other through all of that? I think that's where the problem is: the inability to stay in relationship when we've hurt each other. From Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina, this is Sound Effect. Here's your host, Megan Hayes. Dr. Nicholas Jordan is Associate Dean of the Wright College of Education at Appalachian State University, formerly an Assistant Professor and Program Director of the Marriage and Family Therapy Program within the Department of Human Development and Psychological Counseling. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist, clinical member of the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy, and is an approved supervisor for the same association. Dr. Jordan specializes in work with low socioeconomic status individuals, couples, and families of color. His professional interests include university policy, work with diversity, social justice, and relationships created, maintained, and terminated through online video games and other social media. He holds a PhD in marriage and family therapy from Syracuse University and is involved in social justice work both in and outside of the classroom on Appalachian's campus. Dr. Nicholas Jordan, welcome to Sound Effect. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. It's really good to have you here. Thank you. Um, So I was describing you to somebody the other day, and I called you a social justice warrior. And then I thought, I wonder if he'd like me saying that. Is is that something that you would call yourself? Uh, No, no, (laughs) I would not call myself that at all. In fact, I am totally inept when it comes to this work. Um, I screw up and I blow it and I put my foot in my mouth. I say awful things and think awful things all the time. Um, I wouldn't call myself a social justice warrior because I suck too much at it. So, and it's a constant struggle as it is, I think for everyone. So no, I wouldn't call myself that. I just call myself someone who, who has been treated unfairly and poorly. And I don't want to do to others what's been done to me. So that's just, that's, as basic as it gets for me. Don't you think everybody kind of in on some level at some point sucks at doing that though, trying to, because we're, there's not a playbook for this. No, <laughs> you know? no, there's not, there's not. And I, the worst part is not only is there not a playbook, but there is no, like we don't talk about it. There's no, there's no talking about it. So even if there was a playbook, we're not allowed to talk about it anyway. Right. We don't do that in polite society. Yeah, so, yeah. We're screwed all over the place. So sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at that. No, no, it's true. It's funny. It's funny. It's 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 funny. Well, you know, this is interesting because you know, you and I have talked about this before, and Kamal Bell was on our campus last week, and one of the things that he I've heard him talk about before is you know, how important it is to have awkward conversations, Mm -hmm. and that we must have the awkward conversations. So. And I've heard you talk about, you know, slightly different language, but saying it's important to have conversations that you're not necessarily comfortable having and you don't have to be comfortable. So, um, you know, why is it important to be uncomfortable when you're talking to people? Because if we're not uncomfortable, we're not really talking about the things that exist in the world. We're not really acknowledging things like privilege and power and oppression if we are not pushing through that discomfort and in that uncomfortable space, because those are uncomfortable topics. So I think of being uncomfortable, at least for me and how, you know, I try to train therapists and teach students as that discomfort being a compass. The discomfort is not bad. It's, you know, having to push through it. If you don't push through it, that's bad. But the discomfort is a compass. And if I'm uncomfortable with a conversation, that is exactly the conversation I need to be having. And so it it just so happens that around all of these things, you know, all of these isms and, you know, privilege and oppression and all of that kind of stuff that that's where people get skittish and oh 
but that's exactly where we should be. And those are the conversations we should be having. And that discomfort lets us know we're right where we need to be. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, I get that uh, feeling a lot. I'm somebody that pays a lot of attention to communications. And I know? still do too. I yeah. am, I, I hate it. I, uh, I do. I do. Even sitting here talking to you or now, even talking about talking about it makes me feel slimy. It does a little, well, about slime, but it just, it just kind of makes me tense up a little yeah, bit, you know? Yeah. So, I spend so much time trying not to draw attention to the fact that I'm a large black male <laughs> that, you know, any kind of conversation around this stuff, like it's, uh, uh, here it comes, you know, I, I feel it. I feel the discomfort. I, right. No matter yeah. how much I do it, no matter how much I practice it. Well, and I want to be a good white person, so that's probably why <laughs> I feel that way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, um, so, you know, one of the other things that, that, um, Kamal talked about that we're kind of touching base on right now is like, you know, not tiptoeing around issues and not Mm -hmm. tiptoeing around words. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I mean, I feel like I tiptoe around words a lot, you know, I, I'm, um, privilege, Mm -hmm. Uh, even like things that, you know, like the other day I said something about, oh, we shouldn't build a wall around ourselves. And, the, you know, now the word build a wall has meaning that it didn't something have yep. even like, you know, a yep. couple of months ago. And so, you know, it's just like every time I try to choose my words really carefully and think about all the different people, what is this going to mean if I were to say it to this person and what, how would it have a different meaning if I said it Mm -hmm. to that person and how can I communicate in a way that, uh, you know, it's, it's relatable no matter who I'm talking to. Sure. And um, man, that can just be difficult. But one of the things he was saying is just get it in your face, you know, just throw it out there. And then exactly, you know, throw it out there and know that you're going to put your foot in your mouth and know that you're going to, it's going to land on somebody the wrong way. And that's, that's it's not okay, but that's no excuse to not have the conversation, and that's no excuse to just kind of pull back. I think um, when we put our foot in our mouths and we make mistakes in these kinds of conversation, talking about these things, like that's that's okay. We have to stay in that relationship and keep going and be able to acknowledge, hey, I'm sorry that that landed on you this certain way, and you perceive this, and and I did not want to do that. And my, even though you know my intent doesn't matter, but those are the consequences of my actions. So what can I do to stay in a relationship with you, no matter what? I, okay, I put my foot in my mouth, but am I going to withdraw from you? Am I going to pull back? No, I'm going to stay in this with you, and that's really difficult to do. It's scary, particularly around these things. I mean, do you think we're just like too sensitive? Do you think, I mean, you hear that both, you know, all the way to the right and all the way to the left, you hear everybody accusing everybody else of like, oh, they're overly sensitive. Uh, I don't know if I would say overly sensitive, but I, I think we don't know how to stay in relationship with each other. And that's on all sides. We don't know how to stay in relationship with each other when we feel hurt or offended. And whether that means we're too sensitive or not, I don't know. But but how can we, even through our pain, still stay connected to each other? Because, I mean, if we're, all, if we're honest, we all think awful things. We all think and, and often say terrible things. Like, so those things are real. Those things are out there. But how can we stay in relationship with each other through all of that? And I, I don't know Is that if that makes us too sensitive that we can't do that. But I think that's where the problem is, the, the inability to stay in relationship when we've hurt each other mm-hmm. in all of these things. One of the things that I think that, you know, uh, 
I worry about is like accidentally screwing up. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to have a conversation with somebody and mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, say something really stupid. And a lot of times I, I kind of sometimes suffer from diarrhea of the mouth a little bit. I'm an, I'm an auditory processor mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and things will come out of my mouth. And then three or four hours later, I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe I just said that. And yeah. now how can I try to, you know, process that, repair that, not do that again. But you know, there's some, I, I guess I also kind of see the value in screwing up and mm-hmm. then trying to figure out how to fix it. Mm-hmm. But I think I worry about, like, I won't go places sometimes in, you know, with, in, in having a conversation with somebody mm-hmm. because I'm afraid that I'll say the wrong thing. Whether you say it or not, it's still in the relationship. It's still, it's still there. Whether, you know, uh, a white person, you know, is going to had those conversations, you know, around race with me or not, this, it's still in the relationship with that person, whoever it is I'm talking to, those things still exist in the world. So regardless of whether we talk about them, they're still there and they're having an impact on the, whatever communication and relationship that we're having. So, um, I mean, I, I, I encourage everybody take the risk, put your foot in your mouth, do it, do it. Cause I, the truth is, and this is just what I believe, and just because I'm talking doesn't mean I know anything. We all think crazy things. And when we don't speak them into the world, they fester as crazy things in our brain. But when we speak them, they sound ridiculous to us. And that allows us to kind of examine and critique what we actually think when we speak those things out loud. So that's why I encourage people to say the crazy things that you think, say those things out loud because they sound crazier than, you know, when they come out of your mouth than they do in your head. So it's a, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And, and, you know, if you're somebody who's in the dominant group, so say, you know, we're thinking about race here, but you know, gender, sexuality, all those things that could work. So say, you know, if you are in the dominant group and you're worried about offending somebody, you know, in a subjugated place in in an oppressed position, You know, the truth is, is that person has been experiencing, you know, there's nothing you're going to say that's (laughs) going to be so terrible and ruin that person's day. This person's already heard the craziest and been through all of the most awful things in the world. What are you going to say to them that's going to really change much or add to that? Sure. Sure. I mean, you know, it could it could sting a little bit, but, you know, that would just be. You know, something that happened in the last five minutes, guarantee the two hours before they've experienced at least three different microaggressions. So just go for it. Go for it. I would much rather, you know, somebody say something that, you know, is slightly inappropriate and then, you know, okay, we work with it. We have a conversation about it. We have a better understanding of each other. Then we're more connected and then we can move on. Mm -hmm. You know, I've seen some examples where that has happened the the Mm -hmm. like unintentional offense and like you Mm -hmm. said you know intent you know doesn't Mm -hmm. really matter it's the consequence but then i've also been in situations where i'm not going to say one in particular oh i'm thinking of one right now that happened recently but i don't want to identify someone In, in this instance the person who was in that other group mm-hmm. other category kind of called you know someone out mm-hmm. on it and it was clearly an incredibly valuable experience for the person who was called out mm-hmm. right like that person was like whoa and learned a lot from mm-hmm. it as someone who is often in the dominant group i see the value in that mm-hmm. and how that can help move forward and then i also hear 
I've heard students of color a lot say, I'm tired of being the person. It's, why is it my responsibility sure. to you know, make you be a better sure. person? I would just like to unpack that, I guess, a little bit in terms of you know, the value of that and the responsibility for that and how, as a community here, dealing with what we're dealing with at Appalachian, mm-hmm. um, we can come to terms with that in some way. And, you know, I go back and forth on this because it's definitely not the subjugated person or the person with the oppressed identity to train the dominant group, you know, how to be and how to not be offensive and hurtful. It is definitely not their responsibility to teach that, uh, teach that person. But then I go back to the, I think in my head, okay, so what's my end goal? You know, what do I want to do? I want this person in the dominant group to think and feel differently um, and treat others like me in the future differently. So that's what I want them to do. So do I swallow a little bit of pride in that moment, knowing that this is not my responsibility, but take that opportunity to teach that person something in hopes that they'll be different in the future? Because really, that's what I want. I want them to be different. Or do I, you know, hold to that principle and say, oh, God, you know, shut up like and and, and just kind of shut them down or whatever. So I go back and forth. I, I it's not the responsibility of that oppressed person. But what's your end goal? What do you want? I want the dominant group to be more sensitive to things, you know, power and privilege. So if I can take this moment and swallow my pride just a little bit and speak to them about that, do some of that pseudo training in the moment, you know, maybe it's going to be good for my community going forward. So, but that's exhausting. It is. It's exhausting. Oh, I mean, and some days I, some, some days I'll do that. And some days I'll cuss at you. It's, it can be. It can be really exhausting. And, and even that person who, you know, the person in the uh, underrepresented group who takes the time to teach that dominant group person or whatever, whatever, takes the time to have that conversation, you know, and then say a different time rolls by and they don't, you know, we're often punished for that. Well, you were nicer here. Well, why didn't you teach this, you know, mm-hmm. nice white person over here? Like, come on, you know, some days I can do that. Some days I just don't have the energy. Yeah. Um. So... I go back and forth on whether it's a good idea or not. I don't want to add pressure to the uh, subjugated group to teach the dominant culture how to be. But at the same time, I want more understanding. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it takes that white friend or that gay friend or that trans friend to teach this, you know, person how to be in the world. And as painful as that is, it often works. Mm -hmm. So it's crappy either way. It really is. You're stuck either way. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because as you were saying that I was remembering times in my life when I have not been a member of the dominant group Mm -hmm. and just thinking about it's like, you know, do I want to do I want to do this? Do I have the energy to do this today? Uh, When I was younger, I had a lot more energy (laughs) to do it than I do now. I've noticed that too after a while. I I don't want to mess around. Yeah. And I also have, you know, in some ways, um, some places I have more filters and some places I have fewer filters. Exactly. So, you know, it just kind of depends, I think, on where I am that yeah. day. But yeah. hopefully, like you said, hopefully at the times when I do choose to do that, it it makes a little bit of a difference. I feel yes. like I get a lot of eye rolls, but maybe, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And then, and then if I'm getting eye rolls, am I going to be more likely to have any understanding moving forward? Ugh. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a minefield. When you're working with and teaching students in the classroom, what's the advice that you find yourself giving them or what's the advice that you wish you could give? It's never okay to say nigga. 
That's the first thing I say to him. Gosh, you have to say that? You know, I, I, <laughs> that is, I think, the biggest public service I can teach, particularly Whoa. my white students, is don't say that. You don't get to say that word. You never get to say that word. And I'm, I'm being a little bit funny, but the truth is I try to teach through my words, what I say to them, and through kind of how I am in the world that, you know, while I may have opinions about issues around, uh, you know, how women talk about issues of gender or how the LGBTQIA community talks about sexuality or how Muslim folks talk to other Muslims. Like I, I might have opinions about all of that. I don't really have a say in that. All I know is that I have something to say about what happens in the groups that I'm a part of. So I'll have conversations about how, you know, whether or not it's okay to use the N-word amongst my own folks and all that kind of stuff. But I ain't got nothing to say about a woman who chooses to use the B-word, C-word, or whatever the case may be. Um, and I will not use that language um, because that's not those, that's not my community. I don't really have anything to say about that. So that's one of the things I try to uh, teach is that, you know, we... <laughs> don't open your mouth about things that you don't necessarily understand mm -hmm. um, and add your opinions about groups that you hold privilege with. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. you, don't, you don't get to have that conversation. Um, that, that's something I try to teach them. You know, the, the next biggest thing, and that's through actions and, and with my words, but the next biggest thing I, I really push is empathy just understanding of the other perspective. I am somebody that I have very few beliefs, um, uh, very few truths in my life. In fact, I only have one. And I encourage folks to have fewer beliefs and to really examine and be flexible in what you think. And I think in that flexibility, that's where empathy comes from. So I really try to push that. I, I, I really am big on taking another perspective on everything, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, I think that um, to kind of just, you know, take that to another level or, or I don't know, another level, just take it further maybe is it seems like when you can have empathy with somebody, it's easier to call them out on stuff and forgive them sure, yeah. <laughs> and maybe work through, right. you know, some of that stuff that, that can right. just make us so mad right because we all suck we all <laughs> suck um especially around this stuff and and in dealing with these issues and talking about these issues we all suck and if we all suck then we can have more empathy when others mess up and and be able to reach out and you know find that forgiveness like you're saying it's mm -hmm. really important um that's probably yeah th that's a really big thing that i try to teach my students one thing that I um, was just thinking about that you and I have talked about before that I've heard a lot of people talk about around this campus, particularly with our students, is the importance of resiliency mm -hmm. and how important it is for our students to hopefully develop some of that before they get here. But once they get here, part of our role is to help make sure that they don't leave here without having had some failures, suffered through those failures, sure. failures, and figured out how to move on sure. past them. Um, do you mind talking a little bit about that and just kind of your, you know, role or philosophy or just ideas about, you know, what the importance is of? Because, like you said, we all screw up, right. and so what happens next, right? 
you know, my students would tell me that I'm really mean to them. Uh, my students would tell me that, you know, I don't think about my words and how they hurt them and, you know, things like that. But I, I'm tough on them. I'm intentionally tough on them because I want them to experience failure. I want them to experience struggle. I want it to be difficult for them. We do serious business. And I say this all the time. We do serious business and you need to have your A game at all times. And when you don't, um, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you that you don't have that. If we don't fail, if we aren't allowed to screw up, if we aren't allowed to screw up, then we don't have practice, like I was talking about before, staying in relationship. We don't have practice. Um, okay, so I really messed up. Well, how do I push past this? How do I, you know, stay in contact or how do I find the resolve to keep moving? Like if I don't if I don't fail, I can't practice at that. And I don't want my students to fail, but I do want them to fail. I want you to screw up. I want you to screw up and figure out a way to push past it. And we do a real big disservice to our, our students and to, um, you know, I actually think faculty and staff too, but that's a different story. I think we do a, we just do a disservice to them by not letting them blow it. And then, you know, reaching out to them when they do. Okay, well, you messed up. All right, so how are you going to fix it? How are you going to push past it? I'm... You know, there's nothing, there is no relationship that is, you know, going to be perfect. We're going to screw up um, and hurt others. So how do we dig deep to stay in connection with them, stay in contact? Does that make any sense? Yeah, as a parent, I can really relate to that because, I mean, I want my kids to be successful, but I also... I know they've got us. Right. They, they have to fail in order to right. get there. I'm going to secretly be happy when, you know, the little girl brings home, you know, a D plus. I'm like, good, good. <laughs> I hope there are tears. I want to see you cry about this. I want to see the pain on your face because I know I, I want to see you get through this. But, you know, you don't want them to fail, but they need to. Right, that right. Like, they need to. Yeah, yeah. So. There's one more thing that occurred to me that is not um, that that I was thinking about when we were in here, and that is a lesson that um, Landy Wagner actually mm-hmm. taught me because I am interested in how can I be a part of a solution? Right. You know, as someone who is most of the time on this campus in a dominant group, how can I be a part of the solution? Mm-hmm. And what she taught me was shut up and listen. And so I have try to do as an extrovert who mm-hmm. is an auditory processor. I try to um, practice the shut up and listen approach. Right. <laughs> right. And it's difficult to do because we always want to jump in and fix it. Okay. Well, what can I do to fix it? Well, what can I do to help you not have this pain, which is comes from a good place and there may not be anything you can do to fix it right now. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. So just kind of sitting in that mud and that shit with somebody can be very healing, you know, to that person who is struggling or going through something, just to hear them and sit with them and acknowledge that pain. That is a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. Big fan of the shut up and listen. (laughs) Big fan of it. I'll try to do more of it as I move forward. And and I do it too, though. Like I want to, I want to fix it. I don't want to see somebody I care about in pain. So I I jump to the solution, you know, what can I do Mm -hmm. to fix it? It's not... Sometimes it just can't. It just cannot fix it. And sitting in it for a little while is okay. It's all right. Well, Jordan, Dr. Nicholas Jordan, (laughs) 
Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here on this campus. I'm even more glad that you have agreed to continue this conversation with your own podcast, which I think we're going to call What's Your Truth? Because hey, you talk about your hey, truth. Yeah, that'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, so What's Your Truth is coming soon to AppalachiaMagazine.org, iTunes. You'll be the host and be interviewing some other people and talking about whatever you want to talk about and what your guests want to talk about and how we can continue as a campus, hopefully, to have some of these difficult, awkward conversations and looking forward to make it. us a better place hopefully so. looking forward to it well we're looking forward to it too i know we are and i think everybody listening today is now looking forward to more of this so um and i am looking forward to shutting up and listening to you so <laughs> thank you very very much for being here no problem Today's show was written and produced by Troy Tuttle, Dave Blanks, and me, Megan Hayes. Our sound engineer is Dave Blanks, with assistance from Wes Craig. Our web team is Pete Montaldi, Alex Waterworth, and Derek Wyckoff. Research assistance comes from Elizabeth Wall, and video and photo support come from Garrett Ford and Marie Freeman. Our theme song was written and performed by Derek Wyckoff of Naked Gods. Our podcast studio is dedicated to Greg Cuddy. Special thanks to Stephen Dubner for the inspiration, advice, and moral support. Sound Effect is a production of the University Communications Team at Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina. Thanks for listening. For Sound Effect, I'm Megan Hayes.